Welcome to the Audible presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined as always by Bruce Feldman. Bruce, we've got several items to get to today. We're going to talk a little bit later about the uh, College Football Hall of Fame ballot and some big names that that popped up on it uh, that was released Monday morning. Uh, we have not had a chance yet to uh, wrap up the SEC scheduling conversation from last week in Destin. They have agreed to a temporary one-year solution of sticking with eight games in 2024, despite Texas and Oklahoma joining, um, and then revisit it the following year. So for, for I already feel like we've had this debate for years, and we still don't have a permanent resolution. Um, are you surprised? I thought for sure they were going to meet. Saner heads would prevail. They would go to nine games. And in fact, only five schools in the end voted to go to nine games. Yeah, I'm not surprised because I don't think there's anything forcing their hands to. I don't think that they're, you know, at the end of the day, they'd love to sit there and have all these teams, you know, have winning records. And it helps, helps, that, helps that cause. And it's the have their cake and eat it too kind of thing. You know, I don't think anybody questions that the SEC is the best conference. Yet there's other layers of it where it's like, okay, we're going to play all these, uh, you know, weaker opponents in the middle of the grind of November. Or we're going to have teams that play a lot of power five and weaker, or I'm sorry, group of five programs. And we're not going to really venture out of that to, to challenge ourselves beyond what is the SEC schedule. And right now, I don't think the SEC... I don't think the SEC community cares that much what anybody else thinks. And why? Sh- and you could look at it from their side. Why should they? They keep winning the national titles. And that doesn't seem like that's going to change. So unless Greg Sankey is going to, you know, it's a little bit like spitting in the wind at this point. Well, under the system that's existed to this point, uh, obviously playing one less conference game than, than the uh, – Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12 uh, has not hurt them in the slightest. And, and you're right. There are schools in that conference that are just trying to get to six wins. Thing is, this is going to be for 2024 when the 12-team playoff comes into play. And I think that where you'd be less worried about, oh, if we lose this game, uh, we're not going to get in. You mentioned Greg Sankey. He, he, well, he won't come out and say it all the way. I think it's pretty clear that he wanted them to move to nine games. He had some comments to that effect. And so I'm a little bit surprised that if the commissioner wants it, that he can't convince the teams to do it. Um, we should note that, you know, Seth Emerson was there for us. David Oven was there at the end of the day. I don't think, you know, as Seth himself wrote, it's not about easy or difficult that led to them coming to this compromise. It's that, they're upset that ESPN isn't throwing more money at them to go to nine conference games. Uh, and so I think the thinking is let's wait a year and try again when maybe they are not in this um, business climate they're in now where they're making all these massive cutbacks. But as I said on last week's episode, um, while it's true that if they add another conference game uh, and what, and which means one less probably guarantee game, you're going to get better ratings, but they also have a signed contract for the next 11 years. It's not like they, uh, if they don't throw money at them, uh, they lose the deal. Great tweet from Scott Docterman from the athletic last week. 
Teams playing 10 or more Power 5 opponents in 2023. ACC, 10 of 15, counting Notre Dame. Big 10, 13 of 14. Big 12, 11 of 14. Pac-10, 10 of 12. SEC, playing 10 or more Power 5 opponents this season. Two out of 14. They've done a really good job gaming the system, if you will, because it has not affected their teams getting selected for the playoff at all. No, I guess not. Um, okay. Anything else we got to add on this? Yeah, I would just say I, I think it's inevitable. If, I mean, it's not about competitive. It's about you've got 16 teams. You're only going to play. Basically, they're only going to play. I mean, they could have a real mess of a tiebreaker situation. You're only going to play seven, uh, eight of the other 15 teams. You saw what happened in the Pac-12 this year, this past year, where they got rid of divisions. Because they are getting rid of divisions. We should note that. Um, or they got rid of divisions, and it was kind of a weird why, why Utah made that game instead of Washington came down to the fact that Washington lost to Arizona and Utah's losses were better than theirs. Um, Washington ended up with the best record in the conference. So you're, you could have a really weird situation where somebody just lucked out and didn't play a few of the best teams in the conference and makes it to the SEC title game. So I think because of the clunkiness of that, and also, I mean, the main reason that Georgia, for example, supports this is they know that attendance in college football is on the decline and they want to give their home fans a better product. So I do think it's inevitable. And I do think it's unfortunate that after all that, we'll all get back together, same time, same place next year and go through this all again in Destin. All right, Stu, I know you're the subject most near and dear to your heart is conference realignment. I feel like we've talked about this ad nauseum is there anything else to add at this point as we're talking in the beginning of June now? Well, I mean, I think what's keeping the, the, the rumors going is the continued interest in Colorado and where they stand in all this. Max Olson covers the Big 12 as well as anyone uh, for The Athletic said last, wrote last week, Colorado and the Big 12 have been in talks for several months, three conference sources said. No Pac-12 school has been more receptive to joining the conference, those sources said, than Colorado. Colorado is the one they're having the most productive talks with, one of the sources said. Um, I mean, in some ways, you're right. It's just a continuation of the last 11 months of, are they going to jump? Is one of these schools going to jump? If they jump, is that the end of the Pac-12? Is everybody going to follow them? Um, I've talked to people on the Pac-12 side, and all I would say is, all of these schools have met with the Big 12, many of them repeatedly. But it's still a backup plan. I, I think, you know, if, if somebody was was really, really in, interested in going to the Big 12, they would have done it by now. It's not, it's not a secret that they want these West Coast schools and they have for 11 months. This. We talked about this coming out of Pac-12 meetings, Pac-12 media day 11 months ago. Right. Um, here's my thinking on this. And we've, we've talked about this before on the podcast and we've talked about it offline quite a bit. Uh, Colorado, if Colorado were to leave, right? Deion Sanders has definitely made Colorado way more interesting, which we've talked about that in our podcast. Last as far as I can tell, Deion Sanders is the reason the Big 12 wants them. Yeah, but let's uh, like here's a, here's why I come back to this on this. It would not surprise me if Deion Sanders got Colorado dramatically improved this year and then much more improved next year. What I would think 
we're looking at here if you're if you're Colorado and you're you're the Big Twelve is if he gets them going, you know, gets them into the top twenty five in twenty twenty four. You don't think bigger schools are going to come calling for Deion Sanders? Of course they are. I mean, I, they I, don't, be I don't see him being there longer than three years, one way or the other. I know. And the, and the truth is that he may not be there more than two years if it goes right. really well. So then all, all of a sudden you, you know, so there's the big 12 of the piece of it is like Colorado football has been largely irrelevant for the last 20 years until Dion got there. And then all of a sudden, um, to me, the thinking is even if Colorado were to leave, like they're not Washington, they're not Oregon, they're they're not Utah, they're not the football brand any of those schools are. I mean, if if they were to leave, let's just say they were to leave and the Pac-12 has has everybody else, you still to me, if you're the Pac-12, have three better football programs than anything that's in the that's in the Big 12 right now. And you definitely have two better brands in Oregon and Washington than anything is in the in the Big 12 right now. I think all along it's been about the ripple effect, you know, the feel. So in fact, right. Your mark, they had conference meetings last week and he had a zoom call with the media where he re- reiterated that they want to go West and they want to be a national conference. And by the way, that also includes East, right? Well, we've, we've seen reports that they're interested in Yukon and possibly some other East coast schools. He wants them to be a national conference and he keeps talking about basketball and how it's undervalued in the big 12 has a chance to be the, the, you know, dominant basketball conference. And so Colorado for me, for them, I think is, well, if they join, then Arizona is going to tune in. People do not tune in for regular season college basketball at all. They really don't. Um, now the, the big 12 though has big Monday, which I think, um, you know, does better than, than most of regular season basketball windows, but he has kept talking about how it's undervalued and that, the next time their TV deal comes up, they might actually unbundle it and sell it on its own. Um, I've, I talked, you know, on the PAC 12 side of things, here's the thing. Obviously they don't have a TV deal yet. And first they said March and then they said uh, April and then May and now it's June. And I'm heard, hearing now it might not be till July. So the longer this goes on, I think the more people assume or maybe not assume, but wonder is Colorado just going to cave? Are they going to say, we're, we're tired of waiting? Um, I am still hearing that's not the case. I don't think anybody's leaving the Pac-12 until they find out what the TV deal is. People in the Pac-12 are confident the TV deal is going to be good enough. I don't think they think it's going to be amazing. Good enough to, to keep everybody. So, um, and around and around we go. But again, we've been living in alternate realities for, for almost a year now. There's the dominant perception out there, especially on Twitter, is that it's just a matter of time. One or more of these schools maybe is going to the Big 12. The Pac-12 is going to crumble. They're going to all their games are going to be on streaming, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I don't think that's the most likely outcome. It's certainly possible. I mean, the fact that they are still negotiating with media companies right now tells you they don't have a TV deal to present to their schools yet. And that's not good. So it could happen. Um, but again, when you see like what Max said, which is absolutely factual that they've been meeting with them repeatedly, it's cause I believe it's cause Colorado wants a backup plan. So, um, I also think 
it's really about those two, Colorado and Arizona. I don't think ASU and Utah have any desire to leave. So uh, that's that, and that, and so we should have like a sponsored segment on this show. There is your your um, your weekly check in on the Big Twelve, Pac twelve standoff, if you will. Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the icon of vacations. Icon of the seas. Arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry Bahamas. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Bruce, last week um, you went to San Diego where George Whitfield, the uh, prominent QB coach, is headquartered. And he had some uh, notable college QBs out there. Tell us a little bit about the visit, which is going to then set up uh, not a debate, but a little interesting discussion we want to have. Yeah, I saw um, Alan Bowman and a bunch of his receivers from Oklahoma State down there. Alan Bowman will probably be the starter for Oklahoma State, as you probably remember he had a lot of success at Texas Tech, got hurt, ended up transferring to Michigan where he was a reserve quarterback the past two years. Um, And I would think um, he will have a very productive 2023. Um, They actually have – their receivers are pretty impressive. They have some transfers and – that so that they were a group, but also was there was KJ Jefferson, and he has had a fantastic last two years at Arkansas. They're going to have a, a new system change. One of the things that he really you saw him work a lot on was getting more comfortable being under center. Um, you know, I, I cannot tell you how seeing him in person, he is a huge man. I mean, I don't know if he's six four; he's somewhere around six three. But if he he six three two forty five is what he's listed at. Yeah, he may be listed at two forty five. I would be surprised if he's under two fifty. I mean, he is just a big, thick guy. Um, and you know, the ball jumps out of his hand, and I think it's going to be interesting to see. He goes from Kendall Bryles, and now he has Dan Enos. It's different, um, different, different styles there. But you look at what he's done the last couple of years. I mean, he's a legit Heisman candidate. I feel like in this year where obviously there's so much attention, certainly with Caleb Williams, and then after him you have Drake May, and then you have the quarterbacks who, who you know, in the Pacific Northwest in Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr. who relocated to the, to the Pac-12 and really – had terrific debut seasons, but this there's a really, really deep crop of quarterbacks. I'm not even talking just from like an NFL draft standpoint. You know, I'd, I'd be interested to see what, you know, how KJ develops this year, considering some of the things I know he's working on. Um, but it's, 
like as as I started looking at some of the guys here, I mean, the, it's it's incredible how many quarterbacks I feel like are coming back who've really already put up big numbers, and a bunch of guys, you know, also are have changed where we're really successful have gone on to now probably more high profile places. Certainly Sam Hartman from Wake Forest now at Notre Dame, Tanner Mordecai from SMU and now at Wisconsin. I mean, there's, there's certainly, you know, going to be interesting to see. So as we're talking about that, how would you break down the quarterbacks for 2023? Yeah. And, and I wanted to get into that because when you said you're going to see KJ, first of all, I love watching him. He's a, he's a really fun player to watch. And it just kind of started to dawn on me. Like, why is he never mentioned among the top quarterbacks in the country? He certainly has never been like, on any Heisman shortlists. Um, he, over the last two seasons, 2021, 67% completions, 9.1 yards per attempt, 21 TDs, four interceptions. Last year, similar, 68%, uh, 8.8 yards per attempt, 24 TDs, five interceptions. What you're also missing on that, Stu, is last year he ran for – 640 yards and had nine rushing touchdowns right he's before that even you know even more rushing yards so it's like he is a legit force running the football all right so on the athletic every year mike sando does his nfl qb tiers a little bit different obviously because you're dealing with guys who you know have been known commodities for five years six years ten years uh when tom as of last year and tom brady was still in it 20 years College players come and go much more quickly. But um, so here's how I would group the top. You know, I'm, I think you know, I'm not doing like all 130. I'm not doing anybody that. Um, in fact, I didn't include anybody that really hasn't you know started for more than a few games. I think Caleb's on a tier of his own. I know that you know, it may be that next April he's number one and Drake May's number two. But I mean, to me, that that I think what Caleb Williams can do the way he extends plays, the way he improvises his touch on deep balls. Like he's just one of the best quarterbacks we've seen come through college recently. Drake may is really good as well. I group a Drake may and Michael Penix, you know, one half step behind Caleb in their own group. Is there someone else you think belongs in the same conversation as any of those three? Uh, I actually, Kind of, I'm where where you are right now. I had Caleb as his own. I had Drake May and Penix, and then I had another category below that where KJ Jefferson is, where Grayson McCall is, where Bo Nix is. Um, I hesitated, but I wasn't sure. Do I put Michael Pratt from Tulane, Frank Harris from UTSA, um, and Jordan Travis uh, from FSU? with them because it go then I would have a three and then all of a sudden it bunches out. But, you know, right now I have that third group is McCall, Knicks, Pratt, Harris, Travis, Jefferson. Say that again. Grayson McCall, mm -hmm. bone, not in this order, but this is the bunch. Grayson McCall, Bo Nix, Michael Pratt, Frank Harris, Jordan Travis, KJ Jefferson. Yeah, very similar. Uh, very similar. In that tier, though, the one that you didn't have that I do is Jaden Daniels. Um, I know that he, like, if his raw passing numbers, like number of yards thrown is not what some of those other guys are, but 
And he's still, I think, like he's come along enough as a passer. We saw him win some big games last year. And you talk about a QB who can run. Um, last year, he ran for 885 yards. One of the, uh, I believe that's the top uh, rushing by a quarterback last year in college football. So you go with 2,913 passing yards. So that category for me, tier three, is Jaden Daniels, Grayson McCall, Bo Nix, KJ Jefferson, and Frank Harris. Can I ask you a name that, like, I was on the fringe of putting in that group, and mm-hmm. I um, and that's J.J. McCarthy. Yeah, he and Jordan Travis are right at the top of my next group. Um, J.J. McCarthy, 22 touchdowns, five interceptions, 65% completion rate. Um, he did have two pick sixes against TCU, but he lit up Ohio State on some, you know, big plays. And honestly, um, he's not – I I don't think he – you know, he has a really good running back and a really good offensive line, but I don't think he had, you know, qu- quite the same caliber receivers maybe as as certainly Caleb had or, or Michael Penix has. Um, but I don't know. He's one, like I said, I mean – think he's he's the one guy in there who i would say that maybe that's the guy who should be in that next group yeah and look we're splitting hairs here a little bit um and also i was at that fiesta bowl where he threw the two pick sixes which is probably coloring me a little bit on him you know he obviously gets overshadowed because michigan is such a great rushing team jordan travis gets talked about um because i think he has a lot of highlights he gets talked about i mean he's certainly on I've seen, you know, Heisman watch list going to this year. I think maybe we're just a little bit ahead. The talk is a little bit of a head. Like, I'm not trying to project here. Um, um, this is totally just what they've done so far. And I'm not quite like, for instance, KJ Jefferson to me has more of a, um, more of a body of work than Jordan Travis, even though he's been starting for, for as long. Jordan Travis last year, uh, 64% completions, actually very similar to KJ Jefferson 24 TDs five interceptions his numbers are actually very similar to JJ McCarthy's Mm -hmm. I mean very similar except I would say obviously JJ McCarthy you know has one in and I mean the Ohio State thing to me is a big deal um but that would be the only area where I'd say okay I'd give him maybe a, a slight edge um you know, both guys are are really effective runners. I don't think they 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 lean on their legs quite to the degree that Arkansas did with KJ Jefferson, though. I'd like to see a really big game, really big performance from Jordan Travis in a big game, because last year he put up some of his best performances and maybe some of the less important games. The Florida game was it was a was a clunker to say the least. Clemson uh, was a twenty four forty two two fifty four. NC State yeah. was a lost. It was, and I but, the, but I, the potential is there. So I think, and now you had Michael Pratt in that category, right? The, the one we just said. Yeah. I think he's I really, strongly, I strongly considered it. And I think that he could be one of the, his, you know, Tulane flew completely under the radar for most people up until the Cotton Bowl last year. And in the Cotton Bowl, it wasn't the passing that stood out about that game, but he, um, you know, like, like I definitely strongly considered him for that actually in the cotton, you know, now he's not in an offense where he's going to throw 40 times a game in the cotton bowl. He was eight of 17 
But he's 8 of 17 for 234 yards. He averaged 13 point yards per attempt. So in that offense, which is a very run heavy offense, you know, he, he performs well. I'll just go ahead and tell you who I have in that next tier. It's a, it's a longer list. Jordan Travis, JJ McCarthy, Sam Hartman, Michael Pratt, Dylan Gabriel, Cam Rising, Spencer Rattler, and Tanner Mordecai, who will be playing for uh, Wisconsin this year. Well, you have Spencer Rattler in there. Uh, Spencer Rattler went back and forth between that tier and, and tier five for me. Um, the, the the way he ended last season elevates him from tier five to tier four for me. Just huge performances. What was the touchdown interception number for him? Uh, probably pretty mediocre on the season, right? Yeah. So you, you would have him grouped lower than that. I would, based on what he has done. Let me see. Where is Spencer Rattler on this? 18, so out of nowhere, he goes 30 of 37 for 438, six TDs, and zero interceptions against Tennessee. Uh, 18, tu- 18 touchdowns, 12 picks. And it was worse than that before that Tennessee game. Um, he's a tough one. I mean, he had a great first season at Oklahoma. He had a had a, such a dud second season that he got benched. Most of last season in South Carolina, he wasn't doing much. And then obviously, like I said, surging at the end. I certainly wouldn't put him... I mean, there's, there's a there's a gap within that tier, I guess, because I wouldn't put him on the same level as Cam Rising, for instance. He was uh, like Utah to two Rose Bowls. Yeah. You're kind of making me rethink it on the spot that I should bump him down to tier five, which includes Jackson Dart, uh, Will Rogers, Tyler Van Dyke, DJ Uyunglele, Quinn Ewers, Keaton Slovis, JT Daniels, and Talia Tagovailoa. You have JT Daniels ahead of Riley Leonard and Will Rogers? No, I have him in the same group as Will Will Rogers. I so I know there's going to be some QBs who just slipped my mind who I didn't include in there. Riley Leonard would be one of them. Yeah, I would have Cam Ward ahead of JT Daniels. Give me either. So why don't you just go ahead and say who you? So you had gone through your. I didn't go ahead I, and tell I, us your last two tiers. Your your tiers since you last brought you the last one. You think I. I think the last one you said was the one that had uh, Grayson McCall, Bo Nix, KJ Jefferson in it. Okay. Some of these numbers start to blur, but it was uh, Sam Hartman, JJ McCarthy, Dylan Gabriel, Tanner Mordecai, Cam Rising, Jaden Daniels, Talia. Um, and then where I kind of got into an area was like, I don't know, at going into the year, like, Quinn Ewers is a weird one because we saw him at his best for a quarter and a half. And then there was a lot of other unimpressive stuff, to be honest. Um, he's a young quarterback still in terms of like, he hasn't played that much. I think it's now that they have a lot of receivers around. <laughs> um, I expect them. They have a good tight end. I expect them to be a lot better, him to be a lot better, but you know, we still have to I feel like his is as much on the like, on the come as anything else. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's some guys like that, like Doug Brumfield at, at, at UNLV. I wouldn't, I'd have a hard time putting on this list at this point, but I think he will have a big year in that offense. And he does some things that I know people are kind of buzz about. Um, you know, I had Will Rogers as in there. I mentioned Riley Leonard from Duke who had a really good year, but then there's some other guys, which I probably should have, you know, went went deeper on that. I feel like once I got to that point, I was like, okay, do I have enough guys? Like, you know, Curtis Rourke from Ohio. You know, he's a, he and his brother 
really gifted quarterbacks. Yeah, you went deeper into the group of five than I did. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know how talented Jaden Deloria is. Um, he's super streaky, but he's another one where I'm like, okay, he's somebody I think you gotta you gotta keep an eye on. Um, but then you know, we fall like Seth Hennigan, another one from Memphis, pretty talented quarterback that they've liked for a couple of years. It's just you know, again, I didn't. When you bring up a JT Daniels, I'm like, okay, so is it like, is there, and I'm not totally knocking him, but I'm just like, okay, now we're like, we're, I don't know, should I have Shador in there? Should I have just disqualified him because he got benched by the end of his season at West Virginia? No, look, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to catch myself as I'm talking because I don't want to be too, you know, too critical of a college kid. And I feel like it's, it's easy to dump on him because he was a former five star who started his career out at USC and, you know, he's still around and we know him. Um, I don't know. I think that that the, when you look at my group at the end there, it's a lot of big name quarterbacks who have been very inconsistent. And that includes Quinn Ewers in his one season. Again, I did not try to project. It may be that he uh, he looked a lot better in the spring and it may be that over the course of the season, he jumps from uh, tier five to tier two or something like that. But as of now, I don't feel comfortable putting him much higher. I want to recircle back, though, to a guy who has gotten a lot of attention because of where he transferred to, and that's Sam Hartman. I think Notre Dame fans might be a little surprised, miffed, uh, that we don't have him higher than we do. Um, for yeah, me, it's the interceptions. Or the fourth tier. I have him in the fourth tier. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the story of Sam Hartman is that he's thrown for a lot of yards. So, by the way, what's what, what what's a little bit of a misnomer to this, because I'm in the same place you do, is we have Caleb by himself. We guys have three quarterbacks in the first two tiers. So, it's like, you know, I think almost anybody else would say, all right, we're going to ha- lump them together. It's who, are, who do you have him grouped with? You know, I didn't think he should be in the same tier as Jaden Daniels, Grayson McCall, Bo Nix, KJ Jefferson, Frank Harris. Um, you didn't have Jane Daniels that high, but you have Hartman. I have him with Sam Rising, who's won a ton of big games. Tanner Mordecai, who put up huge numbers, and he's going into a system now where I think will really suit him. I have Dylan Gabriel, who I think is really good. You have J.J. McCarthy, who honestly I think has a shot to win the Heisman. Um, Time out. Time out. Say that again. J.J. McCarthy, who I think has a shot to win the Heisman. How's he going to win the Heisman on a team with – Blake two really good running backs. Yeah. I think he'll distribute the ball. And I, I'm not saying I think he's going to win. I think if we did our Heisman draft right now and there's four rounds, somebody would be somebody would be foolish not to take him. That's true, because he could be the quarter starting quarterback of a team that uh plays the national championship game. He is really, know. really talented as a quarterback. I mean, he throws on the run really well, he's really athletic. Again, he's going to have a really good offensive line behind him. I know why you're so high on him. You were at the Ohio State game, where if you remember going into that game, uh, Blake Corum was hurt, and people are wondering, well, the, I know was, I thought. So was Donovan Edwards. What? And so was Donovan Edwards. And so was Donovan. I, I was one going to that game thinking, well, I don't think. I, I thought if Blake Corum was healthy, they got a great shot knowing that the situation they were in with their running backs and they're such a run heavy team, I'm like, yeah, it's too bad. We're not going to, we're not going to see them at their, and then what happens? 
they just com- catch Ohio State completely off guard and have J.J. McCarthy air it out. So in the end, he did have a good season. I find it hard to believe he could win the Heisman, but I'm, I'm high on him. And so you're I, saying that Sam Hartman – find it hard that he could win the Heisman? Where do you have Michigan in the preseason? And you're, you have him third or fourth, right? Third. So why would you think that the quarterback who, by the way, people know who like, and also, you know, like, why do you think it's like, it's not like I just said, I'm catching myself because I don't want to shit on another college player, but like, like it has like, why would you think he would have almost no shot to win the Heisman? I didn't, I wouldn't say almost no shot. Not one of those schools where I mean, look, you're, you're already rounding second, heading to third when you're the starting quarterback for a top preseason top three team i guess i don't know i guess i feel like michigan's main heisman candidate is blake quorum but you know every teams are different every year teams are different and uh it could be that this is a team this year for michigan where he gets to put up more um gaudy stats let's do a little audible on the audible right now so we're doing a quarterback tiers thing i'm gonna go through a lot of these guys just, and you just tell me if you think that guy definitely has a better chance to win the Heisman than him. Okay. These guys play and what their situations are. Okay. Okay. Caleb Williams. Obviously. Yeah. There's only been one guy who's ever won a Heisman twice though. I know. I know. I realize that, but as long as he stays healthy, he's, he's going to be in New York. And then it's just a question of how high is he? Drake may. I would say um, actually to actually win the Heisman, JJ McCarthy has a slightly better shot because he's going to be on a better team. Michael Penix Jr. And put him higher because he's the star quarterback who, I mean, he threw for what, 40? For a ton of yards. Yeah, yeah. Like, and he's going to play in some highly visible games. I expect them to be okay. in I'm, the mix. I'm, I'm yeah. not disagreeing with you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Grayson McCall. No chance. Bo Nix. But that's solely because of where he plays. That's fine. That's part yeah. of this. Bo Nix. Um, I'm somebody who thinks Oregon might take a step back because of all the experience that's they lost on the offensive line, so I'll put McCarthy ahead of him. Michael Pratt. No chance. Frank Harris. No chance. Uh, KJ Jefferson. JJ McCarthy, JJ McCarthy has a better shot. I, and that's nothing against KJ Jefferson. Jordan Travis. Because the Heisman race at this point is 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 intertwined with the playoff race. I think you have to be on a I team know. that's in the mix late in the season. Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis, uh, I'm gonna give a better shot to because Florida State could be in that mix and because he's just more of a wow guy. Dylan Gabriel. Mm, definitely McCarthy. Uh, Tanner Mordecai. Uh, McCarthy. Cam Rising. Let me just throw in a quick caveat here. Somebody, if not multiple players, who we're not even discussing on this podcast, will end up either winning the Heisman or being in New York, because that's how it works. Fair enough. Sam Hartman. Let's end on this name. Uh, Sam Hartman, better chance, because he's an assistant quarterback for Notre Dame. Um, and we'll probably put up bigger passing numbers. Hmm. Okay. I, but I don't know. If you, I- you've convinced me that just by nature of being a good quarterback on one of the best teams in the country, he's got a really good shot. 
Now, when I said, like, you know, for all we know, Carson Beck will end up in the mix. Or How ironic uh, would it be if Tyler Buckner won the Heisman this year? <laughs> very, very ironic. Uh, and maybe, you know, who knows? Tommy Reese, maybe he'll prove why Nick Saban uh, was so high on him to begin with. Um, you know, and then there's guys, you know, neither of us mentioned Kate Klubnick. I haven't seen enough of him. Joe Milton could step in and have a huge season for Tennessee. That's a wild card one. Yeah. Like, you know, there's there's a lot of – I mean, somebody – Bill Connolly pointed out that, that this could be a really interesting season because it's a very deep list, as you've seen from us going through this, of star quarterbacks. But the teams at the very top that are, you know, expected to contend for the national title, for the most part, are breaking in new quarterbacks. Michigan would be the exception there. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right. College Football Hall of Fame, which we've mentioned on here in the past, is we don't understand the criteria. We don't understand the voting process. And so every year this comes up, we go, how is this guy not in already? But on Monday, they announced this is not the, the nominees. or This is not the class. This is the guys who are on the ballot this year. And there were some, you know, names on the ballot for the first time this year that I have to think will will make it on the first shot. One of them being Michael Vick, Randy Moss. Again, why is Randy Moss only getting on the ballot now? I have no idea. And Larry Fitzgerald. Like to me, those are three no first brainer. ballot, no brainers. Uh, but there's other guys on this list who I guess have been on there before who haven't quite made it. Is there somebody on the list who isn't in their first year who it astounds you that they're not already in the There's a lot board? actually that yeah. aren't. I mean, I'm going to start with the one I tweeted about. Um, this morning, though, and that is Terrell Suggs. Terrell Suggs, like, has been out of Arizona State for over 20 years. His numbers, he only played three, he was only there three years. In 36 games, had 65 and a half TFLs and 44 sacks. That is insane. He still has the record, right, for sacks in a season? Yeah, I mean, his numbers are ridiculous. And Again, this is not like I don't I think the part that kind of blows me away is we're talking about as a true freshman, like those games counted two, right? So to have to average basically two TFLs a game for your whole career is nuts. Like that's not like it's one thing to average two TFLs for your like the, the year you leave to go to the NFL. It's another thing to do it as a you know, as a true freshman. I, I was just kind of like, why is he not? Why is he not already in? There's like the name that gets Miami folks going the most is Jerome Brown. Like, you know, Miami's had some ridiculously talented defensive linemen, Cortez Kennedy, Warren Sapp. Like the one that they all in, inside go, that was the guy is Jerome Brown. Mm-hmm. Like and Jerome Brown has been, has been, you know, he's been gone for 30 years and he's been, you know, um, He's been left Miami for almost 40 years now. 
and he was, you know, really in the class that changed the University of Miami. Why he's not already in is is just stupid. Um, also on the list for the first time this year, we should add Mike uh, Monty Ball from Wisconsin, Heisman finalist, Greg Esslinger, the center for Minnesota, Michael Huff, DB on the 2005 Texas national title team, Michael Orr, who needs no introduction. Um, but yeah, you look at this list uh, and – now, I don't know if there's there's probably a limit on how many guys can get in for class. And obviously, college football, you're talking about dozens and dozens of teams. And, uh, you, know, what, you know, 24 All-Americans every year. Like, so probably you can't get everybody in at once. I get that. But still, Eric Bieniemy is on this list. He's not in yet. Uh, Kajana Carter. Kajana Carter, not, in Dunn, the, not on this list. Warwick Dunn is that astounds me. Tim Couch has been out of college football for 25 years. Um, there was one other one that really stood out to me. Oh, Marvin Harrison. Harrison yeah, Mar Hurst. Marvin Harrison, who is in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, well, that should tell you they're a little bit behind the, the times. Garrison Hurst, 1992 unanimous, unanimous All-American, third in the Heisman voting SEC Player of the Year. Finished his career tailing only Herschel Walker in career rushing yards at Georgia. Um, Craig Ironhead Hayward, maybe I'm feeling a little bit nostalgic there. A little bit surprised about that one. James Laurinaitis was a three-time first-team All-American. Three times. Ryan Leaf on this list. Marshawn Lynch. And then, of course, this is the one that I'm astounded at. Kellen Moore is only the winningest quarterback in college football history. Not in there yet. He should be in there, but Kellen has only been gone for about 10 years. Some of these other guys, like Dan Hampton's been out of college football for like 40 years. Um, you know, he was a great player at Arkansas. There's two players at Illinois, and usually they never put in two guys from the same school. But Kevin Hardy and Simeon Rice, I mean, Simeon Rice was kind of – like the big tens version of, of Terrell Suggs and Kevin Hardy was a, was a great player too. Those guys should go in before too long. Like, I, I don't feel know like why. you got to take them both. It's both. I, don't, I don't know why Simeon Rice is not in there. Um, my old broadcast partner, Steve Hutchinson, who's another guy who's already in the pro football hall of fame. Um, I imagine he will go in before too long from, from Michigan. Here's one guy who I think you could actually make an argument for or against Alex Smith. What would the argument against be? That it was a great season, but it was just that one season. That that guys should have, I would say, at least two All-America caliber seasons. Um, did you mention Ryan Leaf already? Uh, just in passing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's another one that's just like, you know, he had an amazing career. Um, you know, Holo Tenata was a guy we covered at Oregon. Julius Peppers. Julius Peppers might be the most dominant defensive player I've ever seen in person. Of course, I saw him play Duke when Duke was like the worst team going, but still. It's funny. Like, it's hard to get too worked up about this because this is not like the Baseball Hall of Fame where the, everybody, you know, it's like a mecca and everybody gravitates toward it. I We've both been to the College Football Hall of Fame, mainly because that's where SEC media days are sometimes. It's just kind of like a, it, it just looks like a, you know, like if you were hey, we should go to a museum today, sitting there in downtown Atlanta. I don't think anybody could, certainly nobody could name like who is or isn't in the College Football Hall of Fame. It's um, 
it's something they've struggled with over the years to try to like really make this a thing. Um, I think for the most part, it's everybody notices that this list for a day, people say, I can't believe this guy's not on it. And then we move on with our lives. Yeah. Um, and you also like you, one thing that, and again, this feels a little like the Heisman where if it's not the person you are really, you know, aggrieved about, you end up picking scabs on people who are like, you know, probably it's not fair to them that they're getting crapped on. Right. So. I'll refrain from crapping on some of them right now. Well, <laughs> a good job refraining, especially in the conversation about the current quarterbacks, because I think we both agree we don't want to rip on college, current college quarterbacks. If I only gave you three votes, who goes in right now? Probably the three I mentioned right off the top. Larry Fitz. Larry Fitz, Michael Vick, Randy Moss. Hmm. Yeah. And not to say there aren't others on there that should be. Uh uh, Kellen Moore would, if you give me a fourth, would be the fourth one. But I'll say those three. Um, Larry Fitzgerald might like might be the the best non like the best non quarterback running back, like the, probably the best receiver I ever saw in college. You know, he was pretty much what he did was pretty much untouchable up until Devontae Smith. And I feel like that 2020 Devontae Smith season will probably not be remembered as fondly as it should because it was the COVID season. But, I mean, he was he was insane that year. But so was Larry Fitzgerald in that 220. I mean, he was – it's hard to, to – I mean, obviously Devontae Smith broke, broke through and won it as a receiver. But even at the time, Larry Fitzgerald being the runner-up was an accomplishment. I did not have a Heisman ballot yet that year, I don't think. If I did, I would have voted for him, not Jason White. Nothing against Jason White. Yeah. Can you name, off the top of your head, the quarterback who was throwing to Larry Fitzgerald his last year at Pitt? Ah, uh, uh, yes, I can, actually. Uh, Rod Rutherford. Okay. Yeah, he's good. The only reason I remember that is because I actually went to Pitt. That was my first time at Pitt. E.J. Borghetti, of course treated me like a king and i remember sitting down actually watching film with rod rutherford okay very good um but real quick before we sign off bruce i gotta say just i want to give a shout out to a sport uh i'm totally into the women's college world series uh, so you've talked on here before about my daughter's uh increasing passion for softball and so now we we're watching a lot of it i if you haven't checked it out like turn on the women's college world series. The games move fast. They're exciting. You know what I like the best though, is the dugout shots. These players, um, it's almost like they're still in youth softball. They do the chance. They've got funny props. They, I mean, the players get excited over, you know, just like somebody makes a nice catch in left field. They celebrate like they just won the world series. It's a lot of fun. Um, I know the baseball world series is going on as well. It's not quite as far into it. But uh, College World Series is on, I believe, Maine, ESPN, and ABC. Yeah, the baseball, uh, College Baseball World Series is not on yet. It's in the super regional stage. Mm -hmm. I, I actually watched way more golf and way more, <laughs> way more college baseball this weekend than, than I probably expected to. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, one thing that is cool, whether it was like lacrosse, uh, Final Four last weekend or two weekends ago, whenever Memorial Day was, I guess it was like last Monday. 
Um, and you just get an appreciation for the other sports when they get to this level. It's, it's, um, you know, I feel like obviously this is a college football podcast, but you just have an appreciation for the other sports. So I'm guessing both of us, cause I didn't used to pay any attention to these sports. I think for both of us coaching, watching our kids in youth sports coaching, you start to just appreciate like, like how cool, I mean, there's a really cool moment in the uh, Stanford uh, I can't remember which game they were playing, but uh, they have a player on their team who whose older sister was in the College World Series for Arizona State 12 years ago. And they showed her little sister in the stands holding up a sign like that's my sis. Now that player, Sydney Steele for Stanford, is in the World Series and her now her older sister, who's now probably late 20s, early 30s, is in the stands holding that same sign. I just, you know, how cool would it be to be a parent whose kid made it all the way to you probably had to go to softball tournaments uh, year after year, all through their childhood, teens, and now you're at the the biggest, you know, the biggest tournament there is because there isn't really a pro uh, equivalent to that. But check it out if you haven't had a chance. We'll bring the mailbag back next week. You can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.